0: Good morning uh, to you all. I uh, feel like I almost need to introduce myself, especially to those of, that of you that I have not had the, the privilege of meeting yet. My name's Steve Dickey, and I, along with Matthew Eichert, I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Clemson Presbyterian Church. It's a real privilege for me to be with you this morning and to point you to us, to God's Word. For some time now, we have, on these Sunday mornings, been considering the subject of the faithfulness of God. And Today I'd like for us to look at a portion of Scripture, a very familiar portion that speaks beautifully of God's faithfulness. I'm referring to the Lamentations chapter 3, so if you would take your Bibles and turn in them to the third chapter in the book of Lamentations. It, um, it may be a little difficult to find. But if you'll put your thumb in the middle of your Bible and go to the right, you'll see it eventually. Uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, it's just after Jeremiah and to the left of Ezekiel. It's, uh, it's 66 verses long. And so you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to read all 66 verses. But I do want to read the first 23 or four verses this morning. And so hear now God's word. I am the man who has seen affliction, under the wrath, under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness and without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I can't escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear, lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me, please? O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you today grateful for this opportunity to gather and to worship. We ask that even now as we study this portion of the scriptures, that we would read, mark, and learn that you, by your Spirit, would change us and grow us for the glory of your name. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, to say that the last few years have been difficult ones would be an understatement. As of this morning, almost five million people worldwide have succumbed to COVID-19. We, here in America, have been subjected to mask mandates, social distancing, and endless news reports. And in spite of all the safety measures that many of us have taken, some have still contracted the virus. And even if you were able to dodge the virus, as many of us, by God's grace, were able to do, there have been other hard things there's been depression, there's been anxiety, and for some, there's been cancer diagnoses. And of course, in the middle of it all, we as a church saw the resignation of not one, but but two pastors. We felt the pain We felt the disappointment of that. And so, yes, our road has been a little bumpy. The question that I'd like for us to think about this morning is how are we to respond to the hard things of life? The kind of hard things that we've experienced. In this passage, we're going to learn that in the midst of the hard things, we can have hope, hope in the hard times. In fact, that's the title of today's message. Now, if we're to understand what this chapter in Lamentations is about, we need a little background. In 589 B.C., the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar began a siege of Jerusalem. And in the course of just a few years, he plundered Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple, and he carried God's people off into captivity in Babylon. Only a few of God's people were allowed to remain behind in Jerusalem. The book of Jeremiah tells us that. And someone in that group, many think, most think that it was the prophet Jeremiah, sat down and and wrote a response to what had happened. And that response is what we have before us this morning in the book of Lamentations. It's not a very long book, only five chapters, but as its title tells us, it is all about lament. It's sad. It's about suffering and difficulty and hardship. And yet, right in the middle of the book, in chapter 3, we have words that I personally have found tremendously discouraging over the last year or so. And I want to offer them to you this morning with the hope that they will be equally encouraging to each of you, especially as we navigate the hard things of life. In this passage, Jeremiah has much to teach us, but I want to focus on three things this morning. First of all, Jeremiah teaches us from this passage that when faced with the hard things of life, it's perfectly all right to take a look around and acknowledge your pain. The second thing he teaches us that in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering, It should cause us to look up, to reflect on and to remember God's faithfulness. And then thirdly, the passage teaches us that because God is faithful, we can look ahead and we can trust him with our future, even when we ourselves don't know what it holds. So in this passage, Jeremiah kind of looks around. He then looks up and then he looks ahead. Let's start by thinking about how he looks around. If you were listening closely, you heard him in verse 1 say, I am a man who has seen affliction. What kind of affliction is Jeremiah referring to? How has he been afflicted? Well, I think you can break it down into four or five components. First of all, there's a physical component to Jeremiah's affliction. In verse 4, he speaks of his flesh and his skin wasting away and of his bones being broken, which is just a metaphor for having no strength and, and being unable to stand up straight anymore. He's just exhausted. A lot of us can identify with that, can't we? So there's a, a physical component to his affliction. But there's also, I believe, a social component. In verse 6, he speaks of being made to dwell in darkness. In verse 7, of being walled in and in heavy chains. And in verse 9, of being blocked. What's he telling us there? What is he talking about? These images of being walled in and heavy chains and blocks of stone are meant to convey this idea that he feels just shut off and isolated from other people. He's alone. We've known what that feels like. But not only is there a physical component and a social component, but note there is also a theological component to it. Who's brought this affliction in his life? Is it him? It's God. Go back and and look at these verses. Time and time time again, you'll hear words like, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Verse 2. Surely, verse 3, against me, He turns His hand. Verse 4, He, God, has made my flesh and skin break away. He has broken my bones. Verse 5, He has besieged me and He has enveloped me. Verse 6, He has made me dwell in darkness. Verse 7, He has walled me about. What is he saying? He recognizes that God is behind it all. And furthermore, God's been very aggressive about it. Did you hear what he said in verse 10? God is like a bear lying in wait for him, a lion in hiding. He's turned my steps and tore me to pieces. In verse 12, he says, God has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. So you see, Jeremiah's affliction has a physical component It has a social component, but it has a theological component. God is behind it all. But fourthly, it has a psychological component. Note in verse 13 how Jeremiah says that God has driven into his kidneys the arrow of his quiver. The the, the word kidney there is is just a metaphor for the inner life of our lives, a a person's thoughts and a person's emotions. And in verse 15, Jeremiah is coming unraveled. He admits that he has become bitter. And in verse 17, he's just forgotten what it is to be happy. I would submit to you this morning, friends, that, that Jeremiah has been traumatized. He's been traumatized. He's been beaten up psychologically. And spiritually, and quite frankly, he just cannot seem to get over it and to get beyond it. John McKay, in his very excellent commentary on this passage, says that Jeremiah's affliction is an ongoing part of his experience. He says as much in verse 3 when he tells us that this is something that he deals with the whole day long. Physically, emotionally, socially, theologically, psychologically, it's tearing the man apart. What are we to do with that? What in the world does that have to say to us today? You know what I'm struck by? His honesty. His honesty. He looks around his world and what he sees is anything but pretty. Hard things usually aren't, are they? And yet here's this fellow Jeremiah owning it all. He's owning his emotions he is not afraid to say, you know, this situation and the place that it's brought me to is, well, And allow me some freedom here. It just stinks. It just flat stinks. Jeremiah teaches us a lesson. And the lesson is this. And if you forget everything else you hear this morning remember this it is okay to be disappointed it is okay to weep over your disappointments with situations and with people it is not wrong to be upset oftentimes we have this view of dealing with disappointment and suffering and hardship by just ignoring the pain, or turning a blind eye to it, or worse of all, just dismissing it. And if we're spiritual, we say something like, well, the Bible says that everything works together for good for those who love God. And that is true. The Bible does say that. And so we proceed to put on our smiley face because we don't want anybody to know that were scared to death, or that were weak, or disappointed, or quite frankly, just merely human. If we learn anything from this fellow Jeremiah, it's that we need to acknowledge the pain and see it for what it is. And let me tell you why. When I was on sabbatical, I read a A piece written by a fellow by the name of Pierce Tibbs, I don't don't know him, he's involved at Westminster in Philadelphia, and he said something that that has really stuck with me. This is what he said. He said, we don't tend to change very much when we experience pleasant things. We just stay the same. Let me say that again. We don't tend to change very much when we experience pleasant things. stay the same but suffering and hardship have great shaping power in our lives suffering tends to call us to a deeper longing for God suffering brings us to the end of ourselves and exposes our neediness primarily for Jesus end of quote That is exactly what happens with our friend Jeremiah. And it's the second thing I'd like for us to look at from this passage this morning. The pain and suffering should cause us to set our heart toward God. And to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to us. Beginning in verse 18, Jeremiah says these words, My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Then he does this. He looks up and he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then he says this, but this I call to mind and therefore I hope, have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here at this point of the book, a major shift takes place. And in the chapter, up to this point, it's been all gloom and doom. And and, and while Jeremiah acknowledges the existence of God, God seems to be somewhat detached from his life. At least in his mind. But now, it's from the pits of despair and bitterness and sadness that Jeremiah cries out to God. And in essence, what he says is, God, this stinks. Life is hard, but this I call to mind. And I have hope. Now, the question is, what is the this that he calls to mind? There are three things. First, there's God's steadfast love. The Hebrew phrase used here is the word kesed. It's a reference to the covenantal love of of God. Perhaps as Jeremiah surveyed his situation, and maybe as he looked out on the horizon and he, that he recognized and remembered that it was the sin of God's people that had taken them into exile anyway. And now here he sits all alone, by himself, and perhaps tempted to even ask and believe that God's done with them. That God said, that's it. Enough's enough. And yet, Jeremiah knows (laughs) that the love of God for his people was so steadfast. I'm reminded here of Isaiah 49, verse 15, and these words, Can a woman forget her nursing child so as not to show compassion to the son of her womb? Surely these may forget. But I am not one who will forget you. That's what God says to His people. Or maybe in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 103, verses 15 through 17, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place is no more. But... The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Oh, brothers and sisters, how quick we are to forget that. We are so quick. I am. In fact, while on sabbatical, I did. And God in his goodness put in my hands a song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Sandra McCracken is a name most of you will know. If you don't, you need to know. She's one of the most gifted songwriters, Christian songwriters in our day. And she did an album, and the album is called Steadfast. And on it, the title track is Steadfast. I want you to to read these lyrics. I want you to listen to how well she captures the beauty of God's steadfast love. Listen to this. She says, I will build my house, whether storm or drought, on the rock that does not move. I will set my hope on your love, O Lord, and your faithfulness will prove. You are steadfast, steadfast. By your word you spoke all the starry hosts that are called out by name each night. In your watchful care I will rest secure as all as you lead us with your light. You are steadfast, steadfast. And then this line. In the moment of emptiness, all was fulfilled. In the hour of darkness, your light was revealed. In the presence of death, your life was affirmed. In the absence of holiness, you are still God. You are steadfast. So steadfast. It was this steadfast love of God to know that God loved Jeremiah that he had entered into a covenant relationship with him and with his people and that nothing would ever separate them from his love. It's for that reason that Jeremiah could have hope. Let me ask you something. Do you? Can you? Are you resting in the steadfast love of God? Another thing that gave him hope, was the fact that God's mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. In the midst of all of his afflictions, Jeremiah could look, and he could see God's goodness and his kindness coming to him every single morning. I don't know about you, but as I've meditated on this over the last year, and and I really marinated in it, It's just so encouraging to know, and just think about this for a minute. Every single day, God has new mercies to pour out on us. His mercies are new every morning. And know this, it's not like God has this limited supply of mercy to give you, and each day you kind of deplete it. No, His mercies never come to an end. He has good things to give you tomorrow morning that weren't available and wouldn't be available today. Mercies that will be tailored to what you experience and struggle with all throughout the day. Just think about that. How loving and caring is that? I love that, and here's why. There are plenty of, tr- of struggles and trials and challenges that await us every morning. Some may be small, it may be as simple as losing your car keys. Some may be big, like getting a cancer diagnosis. In either way, His mercies are new every morning. He has mercy specifically designed to help you through both losing your keys and your cancer diagnosis. And because that is true, because his mercies are new every morning, you can go through the day without fear. You can confidently pray to God knowing that he's eager to give you the sufficient grace that will sustain you. You can be assured that because God has everything in His hands. He has new mercies for that day. Now I'm going to, I want to prod you a little. I'm going to goad you some. Ask God to give you eyes every day to recognize His mercies. Ask Him to help you realize that you woke up. You're in your right mind. You can breathe. You're not in a hospital on a ventilator. That you have strength to get up out of the bed by yourself. That you can smell bacon cooking. That you can taste coffee. You can see the sunshine. You can hear the birds sing. Ask Him to help you recognize and realize and marinate in that. To realize that it's God's mercy If you know Jesus, the Son of the living God, it's God's mercy that you have a copy of His Word. Most of us in genuine calfskin leather. That's a mercy from God. Let me tell you why. There are multitudes of people who don't have a copy of it, much less leather. It's God's mercy. We didn't wake up in a prison camp this morning because of our faith in Jesus. Let me tell you why. There are thousands of people in North Korea who did. It's only God's sheer mercy that we didn't. Even in affliction, there are mercies if we look for them. Jeremiah did. And this is one of the things, along with God's steadfast love, that gave him hope. But there's something else. There's God's faithfulness. His faithfulness. As Jeremiah reflects on God's covenantal, never-ending love, as he experiences God's mercies that are new every morning, it's as if Jeremiah can just no longer contain himself. He just cries out, Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. He just can't get over it. In spite of all that he was going through, all that he was seeing, all that he was experiencing, he's laying hold of the faithfulness of God to his people. And the fact that even though the people of God had been disobedient, God had remained faithful. Dear friends, all of these things, God's steadfast love, his His morning mercies, his faithfulness is what leads Jeremiah to say what he does in verse 24. And it's this. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. What's he mean by that? Very simply, the Lord is the best part in all this. Because he's still with me. And he hasn't left me. And guess what? The same's true for you. With all that we have been through, personally, corporately, God has not left us. He is, in fact, still with us. One of the things that one commentator pointed out in all this is that in in all of this, Jeremiah not once asked God to change his situation. Not one time. Look for it. You won't find it. He didn't come to God and say, God, you got to fix this. You've got to change this. In other words, God, it's my world, and I need for you to live in it. Mm-mm. He realized it was God's world, and he was to live in it. The only thing that Jeremiah focuses on is simply bringing to mind who God is and trusting him with all of his heart. And is there not a lesson there for us? When hard times come, as they have, and no doubt they will again, and they will, the best thing we can do is come to the Lord and confess a couple of things, such as our utter dependence upon Him, our need for Him, our trust of Him, and our hope in Him. Which brings us to the final thing Jeremiah teaches us in this passage about how we approach hard times and suffering we acknowledge it we own it we're honest about it we let it chase us back to God and finally we look ahead and we trust God with our future here in verse 24 Jeremiah says the Lord is my portion therefore I will have hope I will hope on him The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In verse 18, Jeremiah had looked back and his hope had perished. But after calling to mind the covenant faithfulness of the Lord, he says, I have hope. I have hope. And in verse 24, he says, I will hope on him. His hope is not in his circumstances. His hope is not in any group of people. His hope, let me just go ahead and say it, is not in a person, a mere man. His hope is in the Lord who is faithful. Let me go ahead and say it. Temptation on the part of us all is to put our hope in whoever stands behind this desk. Our hope needs to be in the Lord and only in the Lord. Jeremiah reminds us of that. In verse 25 and 26, he he expounds on this with regards to what it means to have hope in the Lord. He says it's a good thing. He says it twice. It's a good thing to have hope in the Lord. He then looks ahead in hope, not doubt. Well, I just don't know how this is going to turn out. Oh, I'm concerned about this. What if that happens? He did not play that game. You want to know why? Because his God is faithful. His God has made him promises, and he's been faithful in every one of those promises, and so he can be trusted. Is this not what the psalmist said in Psalm 130? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. The psalmist, like Jeremiah, is like a watchman waiting for the morning. He doesn't know when it's going to come, but he knows it'll come in God's time. And so he watches and he waits. And he does so, not passively, but expectantly. And this is what Jeremiah does. He's already acknowledged that with each day, there are new mercies coming from the Lord. Is this not the way we should be? Is this not the way we should live? In times of darkness, looking ahead. In times of uncertainty, looking ahead hoping, waiting, as Jeremiah says, for the salvation of the Lord. Of course, for Jeremiah, the salvation that he was waiting and looking to was the fulfillment of God's covenant promise of the coming of a Savior through whom all the people of the world would be blessed, Jesus Christ. And with all that he had been experiencing, He's clinging to that covenant promise of God. And he's clinging to the covenant God of that promise, Jesus Christ. So you see, this passage points us to Jesus. Jesus is the steadfast love of the Lord. Jesus displayed his mercy toward us by dying on the cross for our sins. And as important it is, it is for us to remember that, it is equally important to remember that when they took Him off that cross and put Him in a tomb, He did not stay there. He rose from that grave. And today He sits at the right hand of the Father and the Scriptures say that He is interceding for us. Which is why we can come As Jesus invites us to we who are weary and heavy laden and find rest and find rest and I might add hope in the hard times my dear brothers and sisters is it any wonder that Jeremiah says what he does here the Lord is my portion he never hoped for a better situation He never hoped for a different one. He didn't walk away and leave it. He hoped in the Lord. And that, my dear friends, is where you and I are to find hope in hard times. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, how we thank you, how we praise you for including this chapter in your book. How well we identify, Lord, with Jeremiah. We acknowledge, God, that it's often just easy for us just to marinate in our disappointment while we should own it, while we should acknowledge it. May it always chase us and scurry us back, God, to you and your son, Jesus. Thank you for what we have been reminded of this morning, that you're here, that you're with us. We don't have to fear. You are trustworthy. You are our covenant Lord. Oh, God, let that just wash over us today And may we take it with us into the week before us. We love you, Lord, acknowledging and recognizing that it's only because you first loved us. Hear our prayer as we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.